episode and bonus episode of Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland and I am your host. It is February 9th, 2022. We're coming to you with a bonus pod featuring Kyle Diesel. He was on the program three years ago to talk Rams and Patriots ahead of Super Bowl 53. He's back here for Super Bowl 56 to talk all things NFL, including the coaching carousel that's been going on just a quick note though this was recorded on sunday so some of the coaching news might be outdated however our super bowl preview is ironclad so if you enjoy this sit down talk with kyle diesel good friend of mine and uh there's there's great things ahead for the two of us with this program so hope you enjoy it and without further ado here is my sit down with kyle diesel And we'd like to welcome into Home Field Advantage, Kyle Diesel. He's been on the show three years ago to talk about the Super Bowl. We're bringing him back for the same reason his LA Rams are back in the big game. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I just came back from a long weekend of track and field coaching, but we're doing all right. How about you? Awesome. I'm doing well. I'm doing well for sure. Let's start with the MLB lockout. All right. We've got, for for those of you listening, we have so many topics on here, and we're going to just go through it as fast as we can, but also as thoroughly as we can. So we'll start with the MLB lockout. Kyle, I know you're a Mets fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. The MLB lockout has gone into February, and I told my friends and family who always ask me about this throughout the winter that I would not worry until it got to February. Are you worried about the baseball season being in jeopardy? I was worried as soon as they said after, I think it was like seven minutes of discussion or 12 minutes, them saying, nope, we're going to lockout. Soon then I knew we weren't going to have anything until who knows how long right now. Just I saw it coming a mile away because it's been a thing in the happening for the last few years. It was only a matter of time. Right. They were certainly a collision course between the um, certainly a collision course between the um, players union and the and the owners over this, especially given that the two sides had an argument a couple of years ago about the COVID shortened season. You knew that it set the stage for a bad, um, bad time here in 2022. Um, so my question to you is, uh, after the union rejected the use of a federal arbiter this past week, um, do you see the sides coming together before the month of uh, February ends, or do you see this a prolonged lockout that ultimately um, makes the start of the baseball season uh, later? I see as being a prolonged thing, unless the players who aren't wanting to be paid as much want to play then I can see possibly something happening there Um, but I personally don't think we're going to go anywhere anytime soon just how they've shut down everything 
Um, it's been we've seen this before with many other lockouts. As soon as something gets shut down right away, it's going to last for a while. And they are ex- refused to federal help, and that's a major concern, um, especially if the players are asking for more money and the commission and the uh, owners aren't willing to dish out extra money to these players, especially not even allowing these players to make some money and revenue off the game and their own image themselves. It kind of, my opinion, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to agree. And one of the other overarching problems is it seems like the two sides are not coming together at all when it, uh, when it comes to f- uh, free agent service time and uh, how long it will take for somebody to reach free agency. That seems like the big marquee issue. Um, we've seen uh, famous uh, players or pretty, um, pretty well-known players like Max Scherzer come and uh, speak out about that particular issue. So I wish there was uh, room to be optimistic, but uh, I don't see that changing. And it seems like a uh, poor situation. Uh, hopefully we can at least get the season started uh, before Memorial Day. Um and uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. All right. Speaking of tough situations, the NFL coaching off-season musical chairs has been um, not without controversy in recent uh, weeks. And one of those um, one of those coaching decisions that has you know led to some controversy controversy is Brian Dayball going to the Giants instead of uh, Brian Flores. Um, obviously we know what happened with Brian Flores and the lawsuit toward the league. Uh, but how do you feel about Brian Dayball signing with the New York Giants as the next head coach there? Uh, I like the signing actually by the Giants. I think it's a good start, especially with his success with the Chiefs and the Browns and the Dolphins he's had. Um, not saying it's super major success, uh, especially with the Chiefs. I'd be probably the biggest success he's had so far. Uh, but he's definitely got a lot to do in New York. He's got to revamp the entire culture that's going on there. He's got to figure out, is Jones going to be the guy that leads him all the way this year? Uh, but there are steady improvements, especially their offensive lines looking much better. Um, not as many sacks given up, but definitely need to figure out if Dan's going to be the guy and be important draft picks this year. Yeah, and I, I think he was with the Bills, not the Chiefs. But uh, either way, it doesn't matter. He had – he, he had huge success with a marquee quarterback. Um, uh, I think it was Josh Allen. And then I, he was also, like you said, with the Dolphins previously. So he's had success with younger quarterbacks. Um, and he was able to tame Josh Allen. Um, so it remains to be seen if he can tame uh, Daniel Jones to be the kind of quarterback that that uh, franchise needs in a division with um, other younger mobile quarterbacks who have high ceilings, whether that's Dak or Jalen Hurts. Um, Other news, former Eagles coach Doug Peterson, as we're talking about the NFC East, he's now heading over to the Jacksonville Jaguars after being out of uh, football for a couple of years. Um, What do you see Doug Peterson uh, in his role being uh, trying to rebuild another franchise? He's got to be the – he's basically got to lead this entire team from the ground up. I mean, look what happened with their former coach, Myers. He lost the whole locker room, lost the whole trusted organization, and Peterson's got to do that. He's got to revamp, get him retrust from the players, from the organization to move forward is the first step. And he's got a lot of young talent on his team. 
Um, similar when he was with the Eagles, he had a lot of young talent, a lot of veteran players. And I think they don't have that veterancy right now, uh, but they definitely need a lot of revamp to do, especially at the offensive line position. But he knows how to win a Super Bowl. He's done it with the Eagles, like you said. So I think he's the best guy I put in this position for right now. But they got to be smart with their picks and signings this year. Yeah, one thing that worries me about Doug Peterson, though, is if you think about what happened at the end of his tenure with the Eagles, is they ran into a quarterback controversy with um, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts. People were wondering if, as you said, if he lost, as you said, with Urban Meyer, he sort of lost the locker room a little bit, lost the confidence of his quarterback, um, and it didn't really end well with the Eagles, despite that Super Bowl victory that we mentioned. So I'm a little bit worried about Doug Peterson, but I think the Khan family in Jacksonville really wanted to go with an established NFL head coach, someone who had been a head coach before, somebody who was not foreign to leading a roster of 53 plus men at a time. I think if they had gone uh, the route of a young coordinator or someone who might have been unproven, um, then that would, would have been a bigger risk for Jacksonville. And I think all they need to do is stay afloat and hope that they um, don't whiff on uh, Trevor Lawrence in, mm-hmm. in his development. Now speaking, now, speaking of a younger quarterback with, with development, uh, over, in the, over in the NFC North, you have the Chicago Bears. Uh, Chicago Bears have uh, a young quarterback in Justin Fields, who they drafted again uh, in the first round, much like Lawrence and, and the uh, Jaguars. He has high expectations in Chicago. What do you think of the, of the Matt Eberfluss um, coaching uh, hire in Chicago? I think it's a great start, but I don't know if it helps you offensively. He's a great defensive mindset. What he did over, I believe he was over in Denver, has been a great job. What he did over there to start revamping that Denver team. Um, like the big question, like you brought up, they got to figure out who their QB fields did not look too good this year when he had the chance. Yet again, they allowed 58 sacks, which is most in the league this year. Um, so they got to figure out what they're going to do. Also, their team overall is an older squad, so they got to really start rebuilding that team. So kind of like the two previous teams we just talked about, the Giants and the Jags, got to rebuild. I don't know what the steps are going to be going forward. Right, absolutely. I mean, what what do you do with what do you do with a franchise that has just been up and down, uh, it seems, for decades at this point, uh, a franchise that has a rich history that is a little bit on the old side to begin with. Um, you know, how do you, how do you bring them back to relevancy? And, and he'll have, he'll have a huge task ahead of him. Um, and, you know, another franchise that has a storied past uh, and has sort of petered out over the years, uh, especially since uh, their hall of fame quarterback left is the Denver Broncos. Uh, and we've got Nathan, Nathaniel Hackett signing uh, as head coach of the Denver Broncos. Um, you know, I, again, that's a division that is so strong. You have Josh McDaniels just went over to the Raiders. They were a playoff team this year. You got to think he'll make them better. You have obviously the Kansas City Chiefs who will, excuse me, be a perennial uh, NFL playoff powerhouse. And then lastly, the Chargers, who have a great young quarterback and a good young coach of uh, of their own. So what do you make of Hackett in the Broncos? Is Are you going to be able to foresee them being a, a factor in an already loaded division? I think so. 
they've established themselves, especially this past year. They have a great dual running back threat, great young wide receivers. And Nate Hackett's worked with Aaron Rodgers for the past two or three years, building that top-tier offense. I think they're in the top five, top three the last couple of years when he was there. I think he can do it. And the question is, who's your quarterback going forward? Are you going to be looking at drafting a new quarterback, possibly trading a quarterback? There's plenty of quarterbacks available this year to look at. There's Russell Wilson, um, for example, is a great. There's also Aaron Rodgers to look at. You bring Aaron Rodgers with you too. It's the question is what's what are you going to do at QB? That's my major question for him going forward this year. Oh, totally. And you know, I saw in our notes that they're that they're a um, they're a franchise that allowed 40 sacks last year. So, I mean, if, if if you're going to invest in quarterback, you also need to invest in your offensive line. And you know, for Denver, I look at Denver as the perfect landing spot for somebody like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers who might want to switch conferences. Um, it will be interesting to see if any of those two guys a want a trade or b if they do want to trade want to go to the afc which is much more competitive at this point than the nfc considering brady and breeze have retired in recent years so if i was aaron Rodgers or russell wilson i might want to stay in uh the nfc but you make a great point with um with uh the fact that hackett worked with aaron Rodgers. uh if there was any team in the uh AFC um, that I could see Aaron Rodgers going to would be uh, Denver. He's more of a West Coast guy. You know, he, he, he wouldn't succeed coming out East to, you know, the Giants or the Steelers or anything like that. So I could see him going there if he does decide to move. Now, staying in that division, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Josh McDaniels, he's going over to Las Vegas and joining the Raiders. Uh, what do you think his number one priority should be uh, with, uh, with Vegas? Number one is improving that culture. We saw once their former coach had just left how kind of not in shambles their team was, but kind of more of a desperate situation of like, we need to keep going forward. They were managed to have a great end of the year success, but the question going forward is, is Derek Carr still your guy? And that's the key question. You got some great wide receivers. And then also that defense you saw, uh, I believe they were playing uh, was it the Cowboys um the Niners I can't remember which team they played uh but defensively they got no pressure to the quarterback and their corners seem to have struggled desperately and they've also allowed 40 sacks their car's taken probably top five most sacks since he's been drafted in the league um to be honest I don't think McDaniels is the great fit here just because of what he's done over in Denver um and then went back to the Pats just looking at his previous history doesn't look like he's a good match on paper, but I hope he proves me wrong. Yeah, he he seems like, you know, as a guy who's watched a lot of Josh McDaniels football over the years, um, you know, one of the things that he sort of struggled with is um, utilizing all the players that he has uh, at his disposal. And if you look uh, at that roster, it's been rumored that he like he liked Derek Carr and he always has because there were rumors that he was trying to get the Patriots to trade for Derek Carr um, after Tom Brady uh, went to Tampa Bay. And now uh, you see that he, okay, he's got, let's say he's got his guy in Derek Carr. Okay. Well, how do you utilize Hunter Renfro? How do you uh, entice him to stick around? What do you do with Darren Waller? Um, you don't really have a 
number one receiving target right now uh, because, as we know, Henry Ruggs will not be playing football uh, at any time soon, so they don't have him anymore. Uh, Amari Cooper hasn't been around in a few years, so I don't really know who the Raiders can look to as their true number one. Um, and so, like, how do, how does Josh McDaniels utilize um, – all the talent that he does have like what does he do with Josh Jacobs does he try and turn Josh Jacobs into somebody who's a dual threat uh, running back so I agree it's sort of a weird fit Um, he has a ton of pressure on him they have a brand new stadium right they're in a stacked division Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with him and he's a he's a young offensive mind with ties to the Patriots. Uh, so that always comes with uh, a little bit of extra pressure uh, to succeed post uh, Belichick. Speaking of a guy who's sort of coming from the Belichick tree in a way, even though I believe uh, he's worked mainly with uh, your team, the LA Rams. Uh, so maybe he's more of the McVeigh coaching tree at this point, but uh, Kevin O'Connell, uh, former backup quarterback in the league, played for the Patriots for a couple of years. Um, that's where I remember him from. He's been the offensive coordinator in L.A. Uh, for a little bit. What do you think of him going to Minnesota? Uh, is he going to be able to um, make that make that franchise competitive again? I think this is probably the best sign to be signing. I mean, he still has to wait till after the Super Bowl if he does to shoot, decide to sign or not. But I think this is the best signing so far if that comes through because I think this will fix the Vikings' offensive struggle, which they've been going through for a long time. And most of McVay's coaching staff who have gone on to become pre- or head coaches somewhere else have been very successful. Look at the Bengals. Look at the Packers now. I mean, look at those two teams right there just for two examples. Uh, McVay's been able to take his coaching staff and spread them all out. I mean, it'd be nice to keep some. The win a Super Bowl or two, but I think it's a great move. The question is, what's your quarterback situation? Are you sticking with Kirk Cousins or are you going away? In my opinion, I think it's time to get rid of Kirk, especially with his big contract. Not saying you go draft a quarterback, but you can definitely trade for one for same value. Like we just talked about Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, same division for Aaron Rodgers. You can get some payback on the Packers for what they did to him. My opinion, but I also think it might be time to look for Cooks to get out. Um, he's been very injury prone for the last few seasons. Um, and I definitely think I try to get some value for him still, even though he's still running great, but longevity and for how long are you going to have him for if he keeps getting hurt? Yeah, I agree. It's sort of a weird situation with Minnesota. It's sort of like where, where do they want their franchise to go? Do they want their franchise to be um, – and you, you know, to be one that's on the cusp all the time or just, you know, good enough to compete, but not really to be a Super Bowl contender. You know, they too have a brand or not brand new, but a relatively new stadium, a rich history. Um, you know, they play in a hard division. These are some of the themes we've talked about. So, I mean, they kind of, the writing's on the wall. You know, they drafted Kellen Mond, I believe, um, you know, last year. I mean, why else would you draft a quarterback? you know, in the second or third round, I can't remember, unless you wanted uh, to put pressure on Kirk Cousins, um, you know, and, and what what you said, Dalvin Cook, you know, when your best players are running back, what does that mean for your franchise? Uh, Justin Jefferson's a great receiver, but, you know, how long, how long are you willing to try and keep the band together? 
uh, before you try and make change. And, and so uh, we'll see what happens in Minnesota. One last one that came afloat here, um, Mike McDaniel, uh, former offensive coordinator from the Miami Dolphins. Um, sorry, former my uh, former 49er offensive coordinator will be going to the Miami Dolphins. Um, what do you see as his first line of business uh, down there in Miami? I think like we've talked about before, it comes down to what the quarterback position is. Tua going to be staying or is she going to be going? I know um, it sounds like the Dolphins don't really want to have him around anymore. And I do think uh, McDaniels is a great guy to bring in. He was able to revamp this 49ers offense who had just gone to the Super Bowl about two years ago. And they are still been hot fire, especially with the draft picks they've used to revamp that offensive line, um, even with the signings, but also getting Debo on the outside, signing Trent Williams on his left tackle. Um, but I do think he's a great offensive coordinator that's going to change this Dolphins team around. Already just solid defensively, just need to figure out what they're going to do, especially with the talented tight end they have, just have to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. Yeah, agreed. And down there in Miami, they've had, you know, they have such a good nucleus right now of offensive skill players. Um, you know, it's just a it's just a matter of, you know, they're going to be chasing the Bills and Patriots, right? The, the Jets are going to get better at some point with Zach Wilson. So the quarterbacks in the AFC East are all young and they're all competitors, you know, they're all like young, competitive, scrappy guys, uh, you know, that have high ceilings, all four of them really. Uh, so, you know, do they want to wait around to see what, uh, you know, what mountain Tua can bring them to, or, you know, do they want to move on quickly and try and go for Watson, which has been, you know, sort of like you alluded to an organizational uh, decision and conundrum that they've had uh, for the past couple of years. Uh, but, you know, moreover, as we've talked about, I think in Miami, you really have to rebuild the culture, too. I think with all the stuff going on with the, um, you know, the allegations against Stephen Ross uh, and him paying for Brian Flores to lose games. And just the fact that it just seems like, you know, throughout the years, Miami has had a lot of toxic environments, you know, looking back to that hazing scandal, uh, you know, eight or 10 years ago, uh, as well as the uh there's just the countless um countless situations like this where people get caught in the crossfires of you know big egos and guys trading places so i mean i i i like the hire but it's also you know you're bringing in a guy with zero head coaching experience um you know to try and uh you know tame a a really tense situation going on um you know there's three there's still three open or actually now only two we talked about the dolphins now um, there's now only two open jobs on the New Orleans Saints and the Houston Texans. Um, who do you see taking those two jobs? That's a tough one, especially where the Saints are definitely a playoff contender uh, coming up this year. And I think you've got to bring in a guy who's been there before. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you brought in Raheem Morris from the Rams. Defensively, he'd make that team better. They're already a solid team. Or you can bring in... Um, another famous guy, you could bring in Hyden Ward to Hall of Famer. He's been there, done that before. Or are you going to stick with the offensive guy, go with the Vance Joseph approach, for example, from the Cardinals, who revamped that entire Cardinals team? This question of what direction they want to go and figure out what's going to happen at QB. For the Texans, it's kind of 
tough just because they are based, they are still in the rebuilding phase and I'm not sure which way they're going to go. Um, I am kind of thinking that they might even go with former player that might go to the Josh McCown or um, more from the Cowboys offensive coordinator just to revamp this team, but also bring in a guy who's basically been there before of rebuilding a team as a quarterback. So I'm wondering what they're going to go from there. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me. I don't know. I don't know who's interviewed where, um, you know, I think, I think the Texans are looking really closely at Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, um, you know, sort of a question mark. Uh, people are also looking around, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Aaron Glenn um, and Dennis Allen, especially Dennis Allen staying in New Orleans and being appointed head coach uh, since he's already been there. Um, but, you know, like you said, I don't know who's actually interviewed who, uh, but, you know, just looking at it in a vacuum, if I'm in the Houston Texans, I'm bringing Brian Flores uh, because Nick Casario worked with Brian Flores in New England. Um, you know, there's Jack Easterby is there. He also worked in New England uh, with Brian Flores. So to me, there's a little bit of familiarity there. Um, but he is sort of a radioactive guy right now because of the lawsuit, which I know we'll talk about in a second. Um, but that seems to make sense, but I, I highly doubt it's going to happen. Uh, I like Heinz Ward. He is an intriguing pick. Um, you know, and I think one guy that we're leaving out here is uh, our, our two former head coaches themselves, Bill O'Brien and Adam Gase, uh, both of which uh, have been uh, head coaches. Obviously, the Texans aren't going to bring back Bill O'Brien, um, but, you know, I could see a guy like Bill O'Brien going to New Orleans, uh, some, if not this year, then maybe down the line. Um, seems like he'd like coaching there. Uh, they have, you know, rich history of offense, and you know, you know, he he's sort of a creative offensive mind, sort of sort of like Sean Payton was. Um, but you're right; it's all over the place. It's really about who's not going to get hired, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and rather than who's going to get hired at this point. Uh, just the way, just the way I see it. Um, in the college realm, big college name is that Jim Harbaugh staying with Michigan. What do you make of that decision? I like him staying over in Michigan. He seems to be comfortable back being back in the college realm. Um, he's definitely revamped that Michigan team, uh, making it to their first uh, college football appearance since they started uh, their new version of it. Uh, so I do like him staying there, and I definitely think he's going to bring in more more talent, especially with the success they just had this year after what well, they bring him in, I think three years ago, about ish, two years ago. So bring him in definitely has changed the culture, which is what they need. I actually think he's been there longer. I think he's been there almost seven or eight years now. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I know that in the re- in, like you said, in the past couple of years, things have really changed there. Um, one thing that I find interesting though, is that the big 10 is stacked in college football. I mean, Ohio state, uh, Iowa was a factor. Wisconsin and Michigan state are always hanging around Penn state always hanging around. That's not even mentioned. We're not even mentioning Northwestern or Purdue. Uh, you know, so I think that the, the big 10 is a stacked conference. So he certainly has his work cut out for him. Um, but what I heard yesterday uh, on, on sports radio is an interesting point about Harbaugh is, if I'm another college coach in the power five and I'm trying to recruit a kid from the Midwest who also is looking at Michigan, I'd look, I'd go to them and I'd say, Hey, I know you're looking at Michigan, but 
Jim Harbaugh could go to the NFL any minute, even though he says he doesn't want to. If the Dallas job or the Seattle job or any other uh, or any of these other jobs show up that he might be interested in, he'll leave in a heartbeat. Um, so if I'm a if I'm a rival coach, that's what I'm pitching my recruits is, hey, if you want to go to Michigan, great. But if you're going to Michigan just to play under Harbaugh, he could be gone in two seconds. So I think uh, I think that's one factor with him. But, you know, as I said uh, to you, uh, you know, in a text message a few days ago, uh, you and the other guys, what what incentive does he have to leave Michigan? Right. They treat him like a god there. He's went to college there. He has had success there in the past year or so. And, you know, he's got all the boosters, all the money at his disposal. It's a, you know, one of the most storied programs in, in the country. Uh, so good for him uh, for not taking that Minnesota job. Uh, actually, I don't even think they offered it to him, um, but good for him for not, you know, not sort of resigning before getting the job, if you know what I mean, like just staying, you know, where, where he's wanted, I guess. All right, now switching uh, gears and talking about coaches who are wanted or not wanted. Uh, we talked a little bit about Brian Flores and his lawsuit. Uh, what do you make of that whole uh, discussion? Um, you know, obviously it came to light with the text messages between Bill Belichick and Brian Flores, um, where Flores believes he was only interviewed to fulfill the Rooney rule. Um, you know, what do you make of that whole situation uh, and, you know, the coaching and diversity writ large. I mean, let's look at the Rooney rule that you just brought up. That simply needs to be revised and changed. Um, if you look what happened to Flores, I feel bad for him. He should have been given a chance. And to me, it sounds like he wasn't given a fair chance, just from what I found of saying that they already signed um, the other guy before yeah. he even had a shot. Um that to me doesn't make sense, but the according to the rule, uh, it states that NFL teams uh, only have to interview a diverse range of candidates. It doesn't say that they can't hire someone beforehand; they just have to interview them. Um, so I think that really needs to be changed, and definitely looks really bad on the Giants program um, that they would even say that to already another coach if they already decide on. Um, also, it's kind of on Bill's part as well, in my opinion, just because. Um, he shouldn't have told him, but still it brings to light that how messed up this whole situation is, how this guy finds out from another coach and then uh coach tries to lie to him and then tells him the truth, trying to cover his back. Um, I don't think Bill Belichick was trying to lie to him. I think well, he was truly just ignorant uh, of the situation. I don't think he was trying to lie to him. I think he was uh, – you know, the way he phrased it, saying that I heard from Buffalo, I think he truly thought he was talking to uh, Brian Dayball. I just think he, he shouldn't be in that situation in the first place. Like another coach should not be telling another coach anything like that in the first place. Right. Like, I guess that's what it boils down to. Correct. That's not their situation to be and They should be hearing directly right. from the organization. And one idea that I've had, you know, it's hard to materialize because you know, obviously the Rooney rules intention is good, but like if it's not being practiced the way it was written, um, then what's the point of the rule as written? You know, you know, speeding limits are put into place, but 
people break them all the time. So sometimes what's the point of having that sign there? You know, if, if it's not really doing its job. And so I don't think it's doing its job. One thing that I think could help combat it is saying you're not allowed to announce head coaching candidates until, um, or sorry, you're not allowed to interview head coaches until after the Super Bowl. All right. That I think would cut down on a lot of this, you know, hurrying. I think there's a lot of hurrying going on. Um, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, mumbled and, you know, mixed and all these, a lot of times wires are getting crossed and people are interviewing everybody at once. And it's this mad scramble leading up, you know, and throughout the playoffs. Cause you know, you have guys have to wait until after their team is eliminated to accept the job and this and that. It's like, if you just said from the Monday after the Super Bowl until the combine, uh, that's the interview period that you have um, to hire coaches. And there's a going to you if you want to say that the legal tampering period is from the AFC and NFC title game until the Super Bowl, then sure. But you should not be allowed to announce any hires uh, until after the Super Bowl. I think that would cut down on a lot of this conjecture and run uh, running around with like chickens with your head cut off, um, because I think that's what leads to a lot of it. Is you know people people wanted you know they could have just wanted to name wanted to lock down Brian Dayball before, uh, you know, Brian Flores. And they said, oh, okay, well, we can still interview Flores to fulfill the Rooney rule, uh, but we want to hire and get Brian Dayball to commit as soon as possible so we don't lose it. I think that is leading to a lot of it, is these coaches are just like, or these GMs and owners are just running around trying to sign everybody as fast as they become available. Like, as soon as the bills get eliminated, they're right on Dayball. Uh, to hire him, you know, whereas I think if you made waited just a little bit, you could cut down on a lot of the tampering that goes on. Um, but I, I know he had some other thoughts. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I just spit some facts here that I found. Yeah. Um, um, and one out of 27 of the coaches currently in the NFL is a person of color. Um, and also, if you look at the current owners or shareholders of the NFL, Currently, two of the owners are of color and seven are held by women, uh, which is very interesting to see. Definitely seeing diversity start to come around, which is what the NFL is trying to do and many other sports. Um, but in 2019, uh, there's an all time high of 36 percent of women who work at the front office of the league all around from a team um, compared to only 10.2% of African-Americans were um, in the front office of leagues. That's both male and female, definitely slightly higher for uh, females all around, which is great to see, but definitely still low um, for people of color. And I wonder if that has to relate still to the boys club mentality that uh, some of these sports are still pertaining to. Uh, especially with a study done called the glass cliff, which suggests that members of the underrepresented groups are most likely to be hired uh, by organizations that have a history of poor performance where they can kind of use them as a scapegoat. Um, but also those who uh, perform well, won't have any whining, but if they're like similar um, friendships, uh, relationships are most likely those who are going to be 
hire because they always want to hire kind of their buddy buddy and if they kind of look alike to what's already there they're gonna that's what they're gonna go with just right. what i found from facts and studies right i agree i think there's sort of this mentality of like nepotism and not nepotism only in family but also like who you know um you know and i, I think part of the reason why this continues to be a problem despite all these great minority coaches that we have in this league um, you know, the league is full of guys um, that are talented. Um, but I think one of the reasons why this still happens is, you know, there's there's these older owners um, that have old friends. And in the olden days, it, the coordinators and the position coaches weren't as diverse. And so when these old guys start to want to hire their friends, their friends tend to be the people they know the longest. Right. And a lot of the people they tend to know the longest predate the diversity of coordinators and uh, position coaches and, and former players. So, you know, that's not an excuse. I just think it's a root cause of why this continues to happen is, you know, someone's way more likely to hire, um, you know, just I'm picking somebody out of hat, but someone like Wade Phillips or someone like, uh, um, or someone like Charlie Weiss, right? So, or mm -hmm. someone who's been around a while, yeah, um, yeah. rather than some, or Bill O'Brien, right? Someone who they've known for decades, rather than someone like B Byron Leftwich, who's only been a, or Eric Bieniemy, who's only been a, you know, coordinator for, you know, five years or so. And, um, you know, doesn't, their relationship doesn't, date back as far so you know these guys are just hiring their friends and their friends happen to be people who they've no longer and because there weren't a lot of minority uh, coaches you know back then maybe that's why um, I also think you know that if you look around there's been some tremendous African-American coaches in like just yeah. our lifetimes you know Tony Dungy and uh, Lovey Smith uh, played each other in the Super Bowl uh, you know you've had I think uh you know, I think Todd Bowles is a good head coach. Um, one of the years that he was with the Jets, they had their best record that they've had in the decade. So I think that uh, I think that there's certainly work to be done. Uh, and, and you're right when you call it an old boys club, for sure. Um, now, I think the last thing we want to talk about with coaches is about uh, sort of this coaches getting stuck in a position where their owner is telling them to do something they don't want to do. Uh, and obviously the most uh, famous example of that in recent weeks is Brian Flores and, uh, and the Miami Dolphins potentially uh, paying him to lose games. What do you think the impact of that is on the sport if it comes out to be true? I think it's a huge impact. I mean, you see teams like in the NHL, for example, that are trying to take like football as well. They're trying to tank just to get better picks. I'm not a fan of it overall. And previous history has shown that not many of your top picks are your best guys that turn out. And just basically telling your fan base, oh, we're just going to lose now. Just don't don't come to the season. Like, wh why show up to work? Like, if you're telling your players, oh, we're going to tank this year, so I don't want you guys to try as hard. These guys are trying to make a position and get paid for they can feed their families, have a living. Like, you can't just say, no, we're just going to try to lose. Like, human nature is to always try to win, no matter what. I mean, think their Lions are a great, a great example. They weren't the most talented team in the league, and they kept trying to win no matter what, which is great to see. But to see 
someone tell a coach don't try to win is upsetting because you put all your hard work in to try to win. You don't try to lose. Right. As it was once uh, famously said by Herman Edwards, I believe, you play to win the game. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, if this comes out to be true, this is probably the biggest scandal the NFL has ever seen. You know, they talk all the time, you know, and I'm a Patriots fan. I know about all about these things, about the integrity of the game, um, about, you know, trying to keep the sport as fair as possible. You know, you think about all that they do with salary caps and free agency to make that true. Um, just the fact that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl shows that truly anybody can win it in a year. But if it comes out to be true that owners were trying to pay coaches to lose games, especially with all the partnerships that the league has had with gambling and sports betting companies over the year, over the years, uh, especially since like 2017 um, and their partnership with DraftKings and whatnot, that's a huge scandal. Um, I think they, I think if that's proven to be true, the Dolphins should lose first round picks, um, you know, for the next three years. Uh, that's what I would do. I think I'd find Stephen Ross $5 million and I, uh, you know, make them lose draft picks for the next three years. Cause like you said, these guys are professional athletes. I mean, Brian Flores is a professional coach and he plays to win. He's a leader. His leadership skills are off the charts. He's, he can't go in there, uh, you know, with a team that he just took over and, you know, basically coach to lose. That's not how you gain respect in, in the coaching field at all. So unbelievable, unbelievable that they, that, that would even be, talked about as happening in this league. All right. We're going to switch gears here. Kyle, I just want to, before we switch gears fully to the Super Bowl, I went back and I listened to our episode from three years ago. And I'll use this as a teaser for our listeners. You said that the biggest vulnerability the Rams had three years ago against the Pats was Jared Goff. That offense only put up three points three years ago. Now they've got Matt Stafford. Are you more confident now because of Matt Stafford than you were three years ago with Jared Goff? I think I'm definitely more confident just because he's already proven himself this year alone. And definitely when Goff was in that quarterback, we had a totally different team than what we have now. We have guys who are more experienced and who have been there already. So now they have that underneath their belt. Um, But I do think Matt Stafford is going to perform well, but also it's going to come down to McVay's play calls because I did question a few things he did make in the last round against the Niners, a couple challenges, timeouts wasted. Um, Definitely scratched my head a bit on that. So I'm more worried about what Sean's going to do. I think he does a little too much and thinks a little over instead of just going with him and what he's done that's been successful. Right. Agreed. And, you know, it's a little, to me, it's a little bizarre that, you know, the, the Rams, despite how talented they are, are still in this position because their divisional round matchup against the Buccaneers, they played really tight in the second half. You know, McVay looked like McVay looked like he was, you know, he like he was a five-year-old who just got his ice cream taken away from him. Like he 
he looked scared shitless in the second half of that Buccaneer game. Now they ended up winning that tremendous clutch plays uh, to win that game, you know, and then last week against uh, 49 against 49ers actually we're publishing this on Wednesday. So we'll have been almost two weeks ago by now, you know, they win a game in which, you know, they were trailing late. San Francisco had a second and one and couldn't get a first down. If they had got a first down, it's a completely different game. Uh, there was also a dropped interception uh, by San Francisco. So do you think McVay has got all of his bad coaching out of him? Like, do you think the Rams like have gotten all of their bad plays out of them? Like, cause they did not look great in either uh, the second half against Tampa or the first half against San Francisco. Like, do you think they can put together a full 60 minutes? I'd hope they could for uh, heaven's sakes. Uh, I just think Matt Stafford's just, if he's got to make a play, he's got to make it. But if you're in range and you uh, early in the game, you don't have to force the ball in there. If you're in range to get an easy field goal, you don't need to force it like you did against the Niners in their first drive um, and have the ball intercepted. Just take the loss of down and go for the field goal. Gain those three points. Like points are points, um, especially in a game you know you're going against your division rival. Uh, you definitely want to gain points any way you can because, you know, when you play the Niners, you play the Seahawks or, or the Cardinals, it's always iffy, iffy who's going to come up on top. But I do think that defensively we have definitely turned things around, especially with um, Aaron Donald stepping up and especially at the end of that 49ers game to give a speech to that defense um, to really turn themselves around, even though we didn't have much of an impact starting the game, but I think our defense is definitely the turnaround, but it's going to come down to if we get pressure to Joe Burrow and if our corners can hold, which we will talk about later. Yeah. You go in, you know, going into some of those matchups, you know, uh, what, what are your, what are your key matchups to the game? Cause you know, I think one of the ones you wrote down was Ramsey versus chase. And we'll get to that in a second, but do you have any other key matchups that you're looking at? Yeah, I've got at least, Couple matchups here. Let's first talk about the two coaches, uh, McVay and uh, Taylor. Both have had a Super Bowl experience um, when the, the Bengals head coach was on the Rams uh, with golf at quarterback. He knows what it's like to get a team there, which he's already proven with the Bengals. And he's got a great quarterback in Joe Burrow. And I think this is going to come down can the Bengals coach, can he outsmart McVay's schemes that he's been around for? when he was with the Rams and then my next key matchup is going to be the two hot quarterbacks going into this Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford. Uh, both are riding extremely good hot streaks. Um, the key question is who's is going to come to the end and who's going to make the uh, least amount of turnovers. Cause these guys are the basically the leadership of this entire, both offenses that are going red hot with receivers that are unmatched running backs that can do it all. So it's going to come down to, who's hot there. Yeah, agreed. It's, it's really, the Super Bowl is all about coaching. Um, you know, it, it really is. And I think, you know, not to pick on McVay, but I think three years ago he got outcoached. Uh, he just, I don't think he was ready for the moment. Uh, I think this time he is, uh, you know, and, you know, talk about coaches and quarterbacks in this league all the time. Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, both are playing with a lot of confidence right now. Um, I think, you know, you had written down in your notes and I had sort of jotted this down in mind. Like, 
among the quarterbacks and coaches who has the most to gain and lose. So I think McVay has a lot to lose. So I think if, if the Rams lose the game, you know, you look at Sean McVay, he's a great, brilliant guy. He's a whiz kid, right? But he's 0-2 in Super Bowls. That's a tough, that's a tough look early on. He's sort of having that Andy Reid type career uh, to start. Uh, but, you know, you look at Zach Taylor and if they lose, who cares? I mean, the Bengals weren't even supposed to be here, you know, whereas the Rams were a lot of people's picks to be in the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year, myself included. Uh, and then, you know, you look at quarterbacks who has the most to gain in losing the quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, he's got a whole career ahead of him uh, where he could potentially play in Super Bowls. Matt Stafford, who knows, this could be the only chance he ever gets. So I think, you know, when you look at some of these matchups, there are, uh, there are certain themes um, that go into this. Uh, one of my favorite matchups is uh, Jalen Ramsey against Jamar Chase. Uh, we'll see if the, if the uh, Rams want to play a lot of man or zone, uh, you also, you know, know a lot more about the, what the Ram, Rams do schematically on defense uh, than I do. But you know, I, you know, I look at I look at what they're able if they're able to do um, that. Uh, you know, if they're able to handle Jamar Chase, great. But what do they do about T. Higgins? You know, what do they do about um, yeah Tyler Boyd? What do they do about Joe Mixon out of the backfield? So there's the Rams have really talented front seven and they have a really talented, you know, secondary with Eric Weddle and Jalen Ramsey. But, you know, how do you, you know, just like we talked about with Josh McDaniels early in his offense, like how do you dispose of all these guys in the, um, in the right way? Like, how do you, you know, um, you know, how do you utilize them? Uh, in the best way like what what do you think is the best way to play Jalen Ramsey against this talented Bengals receiving core I think what Raheem Morris has been doing all year has been working things has started to click the last few games of the year in December for him defensively um, I'm not sure where Ramsey's gonna fall if he's gonna fall from following half the field following chase I'm not sure it's probably gonna depend on how the game goes um, but the big matchup I really want to look at it, since they're not possibly going to be guarding each other every play is the Bengals O-line versus the Rams defensive front. Um, from recent videos that I've seen, there's talk about uh, Rochelle Corner returning back for the Rams, but also Sebastian Day returning for the Rams, a D-tackle, which is huge to add to depth. Uh, it's the Rams already uh, fearsome front they have, and I'm worried about the Bengals offensive line uh, for example, against the Titans, they allowed nine sacks for a loss of 68 yards. That's the most this postseason. And Joe Burrow led the league in sacks alone with 51, which is a major concern for speed of Aaron Donald and Von Miller. If you're not getting the ball out quick, which I think they're going to have to do, um, they're not going to be able to go anywhere, basically. They also need to run the ball. If Joe Mixon is not able to run the ball and – the offensive line is not be able to push them back and hold them. This could be a long game for Joe Burrow. Right. Absolutely. I mean, at the beginning of the year, and I think you and I sound like broken records when we talk about this with our friends is like, you know, all these sexy wide receivers are awesome, but why the hell did the Bengals not draft and franchise left tackle? Right. Like they have Joe Burrow, who's easily going to be a top 10 quarterback for the next five, five years or so, at least, you know, why do you not, why are they not protecting him? You know, cause against the Titans, he got abused 
Last week against Kansas City, they don't have as much of a talented defensive front as the Tennessee did, you know, but they were still all over uh, him at times early in that game. You know, and of course, we saw what the Rams defensive line has done to Jimmy Garoppolo, to Tom Brady, to uh, Kyler Murray throughout the playoffs. So I have to expect that they're going to eat up on that uh, on that Bengals offensive front. So I'm a little I'm a little concerned uh, if I if I would be a Bengals fan about the pocket and, and what Joe Burrow can do uh, if they can't run the ball. Um, you know, if you can't set up some sort of balanced offensive attack, then it's just going to be open the floodgates uh, to the pass rush of, of the Rams. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe they'll bring an extra lineman or use a tight end to help block is what I'm going to assume or use Joe Mixon as a blocker to stop this front because if they're not able to stop it, I'm pretty sure Aaron Donald want, really wants the Super Bowl after losing one to the Pats. And Bob Miller's been there. He knows what it takes to win. and He's up there in age, but he still looks like he's a fresh young guy coming out of college. Right. Oh, yeah. He's definitely hit the fountain of youth somehow. Uh, you know, he looks like what he did five or six years ago with Denver, um, you know, when they, when that defense was at its peak. So that's a really strong sign for uh, for the Rams that they have, you know, those two up front, um, you know, heading into heading into this game. Now, if you flip it around, the Rams offensive line and the Bengals defensive line, I think the Rams offensive line has been one of the best all season. You know, they've really been a great uh, anchor for both Sony Michelle and Cam Akers in the running game. So, you know, what do you, what do you think? Uh, what do you think their approach will be offensively? Um, do you think, you know, the Rams will really want to control the clock behind this great O-line or will they want to really air it out and use Cooper cup, uh, you know, and really, you know, gas, the Bengals defensive uh, defensive front seven early. Uh, Noah McVay, anything could happen. But what I'd like to see is that we come out strong running this football. I think the, offensively, we have, I believe, the better offensive line. If they're able to run the ball, that opens up the play action, which Matt, Matt Stafford has been killing defenses with this postseason. He's only been stacked five times this postseason. Proving that their offensive line has been holding, especially against a tough 49ers defense and Bucks defense. And the reason why is because they've been able to run the ball with Cam Akers and Shoney Michelle Mix. And if they're not able to do that, Matt Stafford flinging the ball 50 times hasn't been the greatest. Both him and Burrow are basically top five for interceptions this season. Um, but I do like the Bengals. Uh, two edge rushers they have. They definitely have been getting off to a very hot start this postseason. Uh, but I do question the secondary with how they've been able to cover man-to-man, especially with Eli Apple. He hasn't looked – he didn't look too good last week going man-to-man. But the only thing they can do secondary-wise is that they're going to have to disguise this, their defense and uh, throw Matt Stafford off. Otherwise, Matt Stafford's going to have a field day. And Matt Stafford hasn't just been throwing to one person this offseason um, or postseason. He's been throwing to everyone, to their third-string tight end, Blanton, uh, OBJ, Cooper Cup. Um, so he's been getting the ball to people that people may have not even heard of yet. So who knows what's going to happen. But I think as long as we stick to the run game, the Rams should be able to win this. Right. Yeah, right. I, I agree. They have they have so many different places they can go offensively. 
uh, and defensively, they have they have talent on both sides of the ball. And you know, as as great of a story as um, you know Cincinnati has been, I am a little worried about their ability to keep up. Now, the big question mark uh, before we, uh, the last thing I want to touch on before we move on to the keys to victory for each team is uh, both both the Bengals and the Rams are um, could be I should say without their number one tight ends, whether that be CJ Uzoma or uh, Tyler Higby. Uh, what difference, if any, do you think either one of those guys not going will make? I think that makes a huge impact for their for both offenses. Uh, let's start with uh, CJ. CJ has been one of their best pass catchers this season. Even this postseason, he's been putting up the stats. Um, and I think taking him out possibly just because of injury is going to hurt him. But I do think they still have a good depth at that position all around to they can make it up um, if they have time to get the ball off. Um, and for the Rams, like I said, they're down to their last tight end. Unless they have signed one recently, I don't know about. Bland is the only tight end they have on the active roster. Um, so if he goes down, they could run into some issues. But Tyler Higby was coming off of basically his second guy after Cooper Cup this postseason is what they were trying to work on. And now that he's out, they kind of have to change their schemes on the fly, which they were able to do. Um, but definitely, I don't think it makes too much of a major impact for either team. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it, it could be, it could be a huge impact if, um, you know, if, if it turns into a shootout or a slugfest, you know, if it's sort of an in between, then I think maybe the difference of those guys not being on the field would be negligible. But if it, if it ends up being one of those all hands on deck points, score as many points as possible to kind of games, um, then you're going to need your tight end. And equally, if it becomes one of those smash mouth trench football running game, uh, then you'll need those tight ends in the, in the blocking in blocking scheme. So I think it has the ability uh, to make a huge difference, probably more so for Cincinnati uh, than L.A., despite, as you said, the Rams being down to one tight end. Um, now, tell me your keys to victory for the Rams, and then I'll – uh, tell you my keys to victory for uh, the Bengals before we get into some players to watch and ultimately our prediction. Yeah. So for the Rams, uh, defensively, you've got to pressure Burrow. Their offensive line has struggled, like we talked about earlier, and you got to be able to tackle him. We've seen when he's been able to skate the puck and use his legs. You have to tackle him. Um, you can't miss tackles on him, and it, you got to pressure him. And then you got to run the ball successfully on offense. You can't just have one-yard gains, two-yard gains. You have to be able to run successfully, gain three yards, four yards. You got to make a big impact because if you wear that defense down, don't give Burrow time. I think that's what's gonna shut them. That's gonna what's gonna hurt them. And then you got to shut down Chase and Mixon. You got to make someone else try to beat you defensively. You know who it's gonna go to. Most of the time, if it's a pass, it's going to go right to Chase. Um, and then Mixon's just a great first back, just like Akers. They, they can run, they can catch, they can run routes. Those are my two big guys I had to watch out for the Rams. Make someone else make a play. Um, and then you get the ball to your playmakers. Give it to Cooper Cup. Give it to Odell, OBJ. Give it to Cam Akers, Tony Michelle on the run or in the flats. Like, you got to make – these playmakers need to get the ball in open space and make catches when needed. And then Matt Stafford just 
can't force the ball. He just can't force it when it's not needed. Be smart with the ball. Um, and then uh, that's it for me, for the Rams. That's all they really need to do to be successful, I believe. Right. And three years ago, you told me that you had would have had way more confidence in the Rams offensively if Cooper Cup had played in that game. And that's who will uh, many people forget he was not a factor in that entire postseason. Uh, from yeah, he tore his ACL, I believe, that right. year. He was out, so he didn't get a chance to show. Correct. And so now the Rams have him at their disposal in the in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. For me and the Bengals, um, you know, I think it's all about protecting Joe Burrow. Uh, if it becomes if it becomes one of those situations where he's running for his life, uh, we saw what what happens in the Super Bowl when a quarterback is not uh, able to do what he's uh, capable of doing. And, you know, we saw that last year with Patrick Mahomes just running for his life all night long. Uh, Tampa Bay was all over him. If we see something similar to that, that's going to be a long night for Cincinnati. And, we're, and we, you know, we'd be headed for another blowout Super Bowl like we had last year. However, if they're able to run the ball, protect Joe Burrow, maybe confuse Stafford with some defensive schemes, um, then I think, you know, and those are all things you uh, wrote down as well. Uh, the only other thing I'd write is that if they're able to do all those things, I like the Bengals in a cl- if the game is close. Because if the game is close, then I think they have sort of that underdog, it factors, Cinderella story type thing where, you know, they're comfortable in a close game. You know, they're comfortable playing from behind. If, it's ten- if they're down 10 points, they're not afraid of that. Um, you know, but if, if they got off to a poor start, even poorer than they did against Tennessee or against um, uh, Kansas City, then they might not be as comfortable playing that style of game. So I think for them, they have really, they're going to make this a game. They're going to have to uh, protect Joe Burrow and do something defensively um, to slow down uh, the, the Rams offensive attack. Uh, now, who are some key players for me with the Bengals, and then I'll let you get to the Rams. Um, I think T Higgins is a huge key player because as you said, if they're able to take away chase, then T Higgins or Tyler Boyd could really fill that void of being uh, Joe Burrow's security blanket. Uh, So I think he's somebody who you want to watch in this game. Defensively, uh, I like Hubbard and Hendrickson. Uh, I know you wrote them down as well, Uh, but otherwise, the only other person I'd list would actually be their kicker. He has been nails this offseason. And if it comes down to a if it comes down to a kick here or there, you're in an indoor stadium. Uh, weather will not be a factor. Distance is not a factor with either Robbie Gay or Evan McPherson. Uh, so I think a guy like him is a huge weapon, huge factor uh, if you're if you're playing uh, a close game like they might end up playing. So I'll let you go into yours with the Rams, but I, I'll be interested to see if you have <laughs> Robbie Gay listed. So for their offense, I think you always got to look at Cooper Cup, Triple Crown. And then you also got to look at OBJ, how great they've been playing together this postseason. OBJ has just been lights out. He's been performing beyond everyone's expectations. Um, they just got to watch, I think, the underdog to watch offensively, like I mentioned before, we talked about is Blanton. He had some key plays in that game against the Niners, especially, I think, third and six and then third and 13. He had huge plays there that I think he just sneaks under the radar that he'll get his big opportunities. 
Then defensively, it's got to be their defensive front. Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd, the list goes on. And if they're able to get to Joe Burrow and Aaron Donald's able to have a field day, Vaughn Miller's able to have a field day, it's just not going to happen. But secondary, I'm going to go with an underdog that you probably haven't heard of too much. It's uh, Nick Scott. He's a safety they brought up from the practice squad. And the last few games from the postseason, he's been setting the tone for that defense. And he's picked off Brady. He laid the big hit on Debo. Um, he's definitely a guy I definitely want to watch defensively as he sets the tone for this game. Right. And imagine him saying that he intercepted Tom Brady in, in Tom Brady's last game. That's an interesting fact. Uh, I bet he'll be telling his kids and grandkids that. No, seriously, I, I couldn't agree more. The uh, the Rams secondary will be a huge, um, you know, a huge uh, factor in this game if they're able to do anything to mitigate the passing attack of the Bengals. Uh, Burrow uh, could be in for a long day. Um, now, with all that said, before I let you go, Kyle, what's your game prediction? My game prediction is Rams 35 to 17. Wow. You think it's going to be that high? I was going to say 28, 17 Rams. Um, I'm just thinking offensively, the Bengals haven't really shown me too much. Um, yes, they were able to stop the chiefs, uh, but Mahomes didn't look like Mahomes at all this season completely. And I think Stafford's just found a different game. Then I just, I just don't see Burrow have enough time to get the ball off. If Unless he's doing quick, short passes throughout the game, like the Niners, if he's taking anything from the Niners playbook, that'd be the way to go. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think the, the like I said, the, the Bengals would be comfortable in a game like that. I think they'd be comfortable in a low scoring game, much like they had with Vegas, much like they had with Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if they're down like they were against Kansas City, you know, I think they're comfortable that way. But I just don't see them being able to uh, being able to keep the game as close as they want. Um, so I think I think it, it, you're very likely to see a scenario where there's a big swing in the fourth quarter, where it's let's say it's 21-17 Rams, and you know the Bengals have a chance to really either get closer with a field goal or take the lead with a touchdown, and they just can't get they just can't do it. Um, you know the offensive line starts to break down, and then you see the Rams take advantage of a short field and get a quick touchdown. And then that sort of seals the game. I could very well see a situation like that happening, which is why I'm picking it 28, 17, um, 35 to 17 might include a garbage time touchdown. You never know. Um, but because of that, who's your Super Bowl MVP? Ooh, that's a tough one. If I had to pick, they always give it to the quarterback. So let's go right with the quarterback, Matthew Stafford. But if I want to pick a non-quarterback to have himself a day, I'm going to go with Aaron Donald or Von Miller. Oh, my God. There's a reason you and I have, like, the same brain. Uh, that was – I was going to pick Aaron Donald. Um, I think Von Miller's one – was he the Super Bowl MVP of Super Bowl 50? Correct. Yeah. So that would be – I think he could be the first defensive player ever – to win it twice and win it with two different teams. Uh, That would be amazing. Um, I could certainly see that happening, Uh, but just to be different from you, since you took my two, I, um, you know, I I think Cooper cup is a good, uh, it's a good candidate because if he starts to get up there with catches, 
you know, in receptions and yards. It's all really all about receptions and yards if, if a receiver is to win the game. Um, so running backs don't usually win, and uh, it's usually a receiver, a quarterback, or a defensive player historically. Um, so for that reason, I guess I'll go with Cooper Cup as the Super Bowl MVP because why not? Triple crown winner. Why not? He just go and he's a FCS kid uh, who had to claw his way into the NFL. So maybe he claws his way to a Super Bowl MVP. All right. You have any other Super Bowl thoughts? Are you excited? Are you are you more excited now than you were three years ago? I am. I'm definitely more confident in this team. I mean, it didn't look like it for certain stretches, but just the way they've been playing, like I said, it doesn't matter. How you play the first six week of football doesn't matter until the late November, early December. It doesn't really matter how good you're looking till you hit the playoffs. And the Rams didn't look good to start. Toward the end there, they hit a switch. And boom, same with the Bengals. They didn't look good to start. Hit a switch, found the groove. Boom. And I think this is their year. They have to go. They put all the cards on the table. We didn't address that. That they literally went all in this year to Give it their all. Don't know what's going to look like next year, but they have to win now. You put all, all this work in, you put all the cards in. Right. All that draft capital, all that free agent money, all that trade, all those trades, McVay hosting the Super Bowl, which, I mean, I got to admit, I'm not to pick on you guys, but I mean, really, home crowd. This, the, the name of this, the name of this show is Home Field Advantage. There, I'm sorry, but there will not be a home field advantage for the Rams. Um, I don't think, but I, they won't, especially what they did when they left LA to go to St. Louis, they lost a lot of right respect They're, overall. But I do think that they have done a great job, even though they trade away a lot of their picks to go get stars. Um, the Patriots, I believe have done the same thing, gotten given away top picks to get players they needed. And I think the Rams have taken a similar approach and have drafted guys who know their role and fill, fit the system well with lower draft picks. And I think a lot of these other teams can learn from that. Right. And, and they certainly have a winning mentality now. Um, you know, you're an expert on the leadership culture there. I know you are. Um, so, I, you know, they, they certainly have a winning attitude. Um, so I think this is this is the best chance they're ever going to get. You know, there's the Jared Goff excuses out the window, the Cooper Cup being hurt excuses out the window. They're not playing Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, you know. So they have way uh, compared to three years ago, it's in front of them. And I hope and I hope for your sake, I'm pulling for them. Uh, I know a lot of I know I know a lot a lot of people want the Bengals because they're America's underdog. And look, as a neutral fan, I wouldn't be upset if they won. Um, but you know, I think, I think it's easy in this case to root for the underdog. Um, but for you, for your sake, you need it. You need a victory. If Sean McVay's 0-2 in Super Bowls, yikes. So, all right. Anything else to add? I've got nothing. Thanks for coming on, Kyle. No problem. Anytime. And as you can see, that was a pretty laid back conversation between the two of us. I say don't you think uh it was a great time talking to kyle as always good friend of mine we go way back uh we've had a lot of life experiences together uh watching sports just growing up in general so really happy to have him on the program and uh 
I think he's going to end up being a uh, pretty frequent contributor over here at Home Field Advantage. So I hope you all enjoyed uh, his insight as well. He's such a smart guy. He knows so much about sports. Uh, it's it's unbe- unbelievable at times how much he knows about sports. So I'm happy to have him on the program at any time. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to break down the Super Bowl. Um, and then we'll be back again, if you're listening to this, Friday morning to do one more Super Bowl preview uh, before you head into the weekend. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy the weekend leading up to the big game. Stay safe, stay warm, stay happy and healthy, everybody. Um, and we'll have one final NFL episode out to you on Monday. But until next time, my name is Will Highland. It's February 9th, 2022, and this has been a special edition of Hope Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Also, keep an eye out on Instagram, at HomeFieldPod, for Season 2 of The Morning Vantage, with new episodes live on IGTV every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Also, we've got playback available on demand anytime if you miss it. HomeField Advantage and The Morning Vantage are presented by Sportland USA. And the opinions shared on these podcasts do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.